we going to get this thing started? Are we going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do it. You know why we're going to do it? Because this, 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 uh, the fever, I think, was 102, mm-hmm. 101, 102, something like that. And we got into a big discussion about why are we taking people to the ER for a fever? Right. And so I started, like, polling some friends. So you or a loved one or one of your kids gets a fever in the middle of the night. They take them to the ER. You're sitting there. You're hoping the ER does what? Uh, bring down the fever? And without a doubt, most people said, yes. We are going to the ER so that the fever can be reduced so no one gets brain damage. So does fever cause brain damage? This is a legitimate concern of your family members. I, and is friends. That a fever and friends. From an infection is going to cause brain damage. So you go to the hospital. So Jess has a special solution or an injection or a bomb or, or ice a bath, thing. The ice bath to bring down the fever. you getting brain damage. Yeah. Right. That's very interesting. Yeah, and you know, it's it wasn't just our family members because we were having dinner with our friends the other night right. and they had, we asked them the same question. Same we said, concern. You know, why would you bring your daughter to the ER? And they ha- had the same exact answer. Oh, if the fever gets too high, brain damage. Okay, got it. All right, I understand. And it raises a lot more questions and things for us to talk about. I think first kind of figuring out what a fever is. Right. And then we can talk about what we do in the ER when someone comes in with a fever and what we're worried about. What is a fever? Why is a fever? Who is a fever? When is a fever? (laughs) Where? How is a fever? Is a fever. (laughs) We're going to explain and explore it all. So let's do it. He's burning up. Temperature? We're running a temperature of 105. She's on fire. It'll melt your brain! My brain is on fire. I'm dying. Fever. What is a fever, Jess? What is the definition that you would use as a physician? So I'll tell you the textbook definition of of a fever, or at least the cutoff that we use, which is a hard cutoff, which in itself is sort of bizarre. Why should there be one specific cutoff? But the number that we use, you want to guess, Dave? What number? Tell me in Fahrenheit. It's a magic number. Below, you're fine. Above, you have a fever. It's a cutoff. Boom. Okay, well. Hard cutoff. I'm going to say 101. Not bad. You're pretty close. The answer is in Fahrenheit. 100.4. And in Celsius, that's 38 degrees Celsius. So any temperature at or above that number is considered a fever. Is that weird? It is a bit weird to have this particular cutoff, but this comes from you take a whole bunch of normal people, you think they're normal, and you take all of their temperatures. And then you do some statistical analysis and you say, well, uh, let's do a cutoff under which almost everybody lives that is normal, that's not sick, that doesn't have cancer or something else going on. And that will be our cutoff for fever. And that cutoff has been determined to be 100.4 Fahrenheit or 38 degrees Celsius. So now when a person comes to the doctor, the nurse, whoever, and you'd get a temperature, if they're above that cutoff, 100.4 Fahrenheit, 38 degrees Celsius, then you can say there's a really high likelihood that that's a fever, that's abnormal. There's something going on because we know, because we looked at lots and lots of normal people just walking around doing their normal stuff, and the overwhelming majority have a temperature that is less 
than that cutoff. But it is kind of silly because if you're at 37.95, no fever, 38.05 fever. That sort of brings up the question, well, why do you get a fever? Why do I get a fever when I'm infected? And the answer to that is probably that the enzymes and the cells that are in your body that are there to fight the infection work a little better when your temperature comes up. And the bacteria and the viruses that are in your body don't work so well when the temperature goes up. So your body has worked out over time through the wonders of evolution that if I raise my temperature, then I can kill these bugs a little better. Mm. So the fever is actually probably useful to you. It's like activating the the military to go. It's like everyone join forces. Let's kill this virus. Let's crank up the temperature and we'll fight better. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's not just the temperature alone where the virus is just melting. So our friends that were going to go to the, or I think they did end up going to the ER. Um, what is the temperature they should be worried about? What is the temperature where brain damage can occur or does it occur? Well, let me say this. I would never, first of all, I would never tell a parent, if you're worried about your kid, don't bring them to the ER. Like I would, I would just never say well, that, right, you know, like right. if you're worried and you don't know what exactly to be worried about, that is why we're here. Bring them on in. We'll take a look at them. We'll evaluate them. But um, in general, what we look for when a parent brings their kid to the ER because they have a fever is we're not concerned about the number, about the temperature. Mm. We're looking at why. That's where our mind immediately What's goes. What's causing the fever? Yeah. Why do you have a fever? Not, oh my God, you have a fever. But like, why do you have a fever? Do you have pneumonia? Do you have bacteremia or urinary tract infection or meningitis or something something serious like that? You know, like meningitis. We don't want to miss that. But that's not determined necessarily by a number. Fever itself can make you feel a little bad. But if you look really sick, then I'm worried about what caused the fever. Yeah. Not so much that the fever is going to cause brain damage. I have never walked into the room going, oh, my goodness, this child has a fever. Their brain <laughs> is melting. That is never a concern of a doctor, of somebody really? who's having a fever from a virus. Okay. Now, they may right. have an infection in their brain causing a fever, and that's going to be a problem. Right. But fever itself, I'm not worried about. Fevers are controlled by your hypothalamus in your brain. It's sort of the thermostat of the brain, and your brain is not going to auto-destruct. In general, okay. it's right. not going to be like, keep getting hotter sense. and hotter, and then it's going to melt. That's not going to happen. Yeah. We'd have a big problem with evolution if that happened. Yes. And keep in mind that this is different than hyperthermia. So in hyperthermia, you have a high temperature, but that's not because your hypothalamus said, give this person a fever. It's because you were trapped in a hot car or stranded in the Mojave Desert. I don't know, something else that externally makes your body temperature very, very high, and that's dangerous. And we cool you with things like ice packs and cold IV fluids and things like that. So that's Definitely not what we're talking about right now. Actually, we talked about that last season in our episode on extreme heat. What is the hottest temperature you've seen in a person? Let's exclude like the hyperthermic people, just fevers. What's the hottest one? I can't remember. I think like 106, 107 comes to Dang, mind for a little kid that's really pretty high. toasty. And at that level... Uh, it starts to make you a bit anxious. Like, their brain is going to melt. Yeah. And uh, the kid did fine. You gave him a toll and they came running around. Five Numbers like that worry me. Yep. It seems to be the generally accepted number that 107 is the official freakout point. But um, the official freakout point for parents is significantly lower than that. But for most pediatricians, like, over 105, I start to get worried. Even at that level, there's no good evidence that just that fever that your body created to fight the bacteria or whatever is going to do you any harm. I've very rarely have seen a fever that hits 106 or higher. And if I see a temperature that hot, the first thing I think is, 
there's something else going on here. Where, you know, it, is this hyperthermia? Is this a drug reaction? Is there some other cause of a fever this hot? Because this isn't consistent with most fevers to go that hot. Yeah, so let me back up and state that again. I've sort of already passed out those patients where there was something else going on. If I'm thinking just a kid with a virus or a little bacteria and a really high fever, no. But I have seen temperatures much higher than that. The person who got trapped in a car, the person who was running sick on a hot day, the person who had a drug reaction and their temperature skyrocketed and then they do melt their brain. They don't really melt their brain, they just get brain damage. But not from just, I got a cold and my body exploded. No. <laughs> well, but, but not exploded. People have said they've had 108 fever. Like I have friends that says, oh, that one time I got really sick and I went to the doctor and I had 108 fever. And it's like, you get a gold star for having the highest out of this group. They probably had 100.8 for starters. Or if it was 108, then they were probably delirious and they can't remember what temperature they really had. So they had a thermometer abnormality or they're lying, or they're exaggerating. Or it but was the, 100. Or they didn't carry the decimal point. Eight. Exactly. Yes, mo- that's the most likely. The highest temperature that I know about, a friend of mine is a pediatric emergency physician, so she sees lots of kids all the time, and I asked her, what's the highest temperature that a patient or parent of hers has said that their child is? And she goes, oh, I know this one so well, 450 degrees. What? what? Uh-huh. Yeah, this mum came in and said, oh my gosh, you've got to look after my little kid here. They have a temperature of 450 degrees. And she's like, <laughs> wait, what? What? Why do you say it's 450 degrees? She goes, well, I was cooking in the oven at 450 degrees and I put my hand on the oven mm-hmm. and I put my hand on the kid and they were identical. <laughs> and you've got to get this temperature down. <laughs> I knew it. I did. I see. What a waste to buy a thermometer. So did we answer your question? Can a fever cause brain damage? Right. Yes. No. We have not yet answered that. <laughs> we've, no, we've evaded no the good, question. <laughs> there's no good data that shows it does, there's, but probably yeah, not. Yeah, there's, there's not. Unless would, it's an external temperature right. that's frying you. Exactly. And then, yes, absolutely, you can get hyperthermic. You more, can get more brain baking. damage. It wouldn't you be can, frying. Yeah. be more baking. Yeah, it's more baking. Is there anything you can do to bring down the fever, like the ice bath thing, okay. Tylenol, right? Doesn't Tylenol bring down a fever or something? Okay, okay, good questions, good questions. Um, so first, let's talk about external cooling, right? Should you? Do, that's what ice bath you're yeah, recommending right. or asking about an ice bath. Is that something that we should do? Um, for a fever that's caused by your own body, your hypothalamus is generating an increased body temperature. Uh, mm, not so much. Here's why. You take a kid and you dunk them in an ice bath, right? Mm-hmm. They're hot. They have a fever. want to cool them. You dunk them in an ice bath. What is that kid going to do? The kid is going to shiver, right? Because it's uncomfortable and freezing. Who wants to be in an ice bath? So they're going to shiver. And then this is going to increase their basal metabolic rate. They're going to be working extra hard just to warm themselves up from the ice bath you've dunked oh. them in. So it's not necessarily helpful to cool them that way. Part two of your question was, should we give them antipyretics. That's that's medicines that treat fever. Antipyretics are acetaminophen, which is Tylenol, and ibuprofen, which has, you know, that's Motrin and things like that. Uh, so those are the really common ones. There's other ones, but those are the really common ones. A pyretic is something on fire, so it's something to stop you being on fire. Mm-hmm. So Tylenol is for when you're on fire. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just following the logic of that word. Here's some Tylenol. No, I'm on fire. Forget really? the extinguisher. Give him a Tylenol. Give him a Tylenol. It'll be fine. It's an antipyretic. Yep. Uh, so should we give that child an antipyretic like Tylenol or ibuprofen? And Mel, well, what do you do? The answer is 
I would give the kid the Tylenol or the Motrin or whatever you want to treat the fever because uh, hands up those people who've had a fever in this room. Yep. Uh, that's three hands. Do you take a Tylenol when you've got a fever? Do you take a Motrin when you've got a fever? I do. It makes me yes, feel better. I do. Yeah, I so do take So I don't Tylenol. take the Tylenol to make the fever go away because I'm worried that the fever is going to hurt me. I take it because I'm feeling crappy and part of feeling crappy is the fever. Now, you might argue it might be actually worse to treat the fever than not treat it, but I don't know of any studies that have compared. Well, there are sort of some studies that try to address this question. The problem is that they're mostly retrospective, so they're mostly looking back at things that already happened, and you can't really prove causation from them. But because of some, uh, I'm going to call it weak evidence, there are some people that believe that antipyretics are not helpful, that they impede the immune system, but it's not the best evidence. I have to say that I generally do treat fevers, though, and part of that's treating the parents. I mean, they brought their kid in for a fever, so I'm going to give them something effective for the fever. And the kid's grumpy. They got a fever. It feels awful. And also, as many parents know, kid gets a fever, kid feels awful, kid doesn't want to eat and drink, and then they get dehydrated and it becomes a bigger problem. So if you just treat the fever, maybe they'll feel well enough and they'll drink some fluids. Mel? Yeah, I agree with you. The reason to treat it is because you feel bad. And again, I just sort of make common sense. Like when you get a fever, do you take Tylenol? Do you take ibuprofen or something? Yeah, because it makes you feel better. So it's not like treating the fever is going to cause the death and destructions of millions of children. There's not, you know, you know, uh, ambulance runs to, oh my gosh, you gave uh, somebody Tylenol and you killed this child. It's not how it works. So it might be a little less effective. Your body might be a little less effective at treating the infection, but it's not like it's not effective at all. So I think most of us end up treating people because they just want to make them feel better. It's called symptomatic treatment. You want to know a fun fact? Okay, so a lot of time parents come in and they're like, I've been giving my kid ibuprofen. I keep doing it. I'm doing it every six hours or four hours, or whatever, and I cannot break the fever. Breaking the fever. Breaking the fever. Okay, so then I give them medicine. And then the fever goes away. And then the parents are like, you have magic ibuprofen or magic Tylenol. How did you do that? Well, I, I would guess that it's industrial strength if it's coming from the hospital. Industrial? What does that mean, industrial strength? Well, you know, like commercial strength. <laughs> right. It's, it's, not, it's not like what I get at CVS. <laughs> you have to have a stronger yeah. stash than I, than I have. I mean, it's funny the way you phrase that, but essentially that's true because... I'm giving a weight-based dose. So if you go to the pharmacy and over the counter you buy a box of kids ibuprofen or kids Tylenol and it says like for age, you know, 2 to 3, give, you know, this many teaspoons. Well, that's not science. That's just like a couple teaspoons, you know? It's like Yeah, and then what would be wanna... the what would be the granular size of that teaspoon? Right. And and this they... has to be a weight, not like Yes. And they they'd rather underestimate because they don't want to kill the kid than right. over. I can weigh the child and then give the exact number of milligrams per kilogram for that mm. child. And so I'm giving a higher dose. I'm giving an industrial strength Tylenol. I'm hearing a uh, million dollar idea for an app right now. It's called a calculator. I think that app exists. <laughs> well, what's the formula? <laughs> um, so it's in milligrams per kilogram. So if you're doing like, what is it, 20 milligrams per kilogram, 15 milligrams per kilogram, then you have to weigh the child, calculate See, the dose. an app would be so much easier. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember the Seinfeld episode where he talked about medicines mm -hmm. um, when he's sick? He uh, basically said, I want the chemists, the pharmacists, the doctors, to find out the maximal dose of this that will kill you. 
and back it off just a just little, a little bit. bit. <laughs> yes. That's what when I you've want. got a cold and head stuffing fever, you're like, I want the strong. I'm going to the medicine cabinet. I'm like, I want the strongest thing you got. Give me the strongest thing. It'll kill me. And then back it off just a bit. That's <laughs> how much medicine I need right now. Give me the maximum strength. Give me the maximum allowable human dosage. Figure out what will kill me and then back it off a little bit. How exactly are temperatures being taken? Because I would assume if you're going to take temperatures from the Arctic and temperatures at the equator, I guess if you're taking a skin temperature, that would that would be dramatic. But so there must be another in a better way you guys take temperatures than just the little little strips on the head or the back of the hand, mama's hand. How do you how do you take the temperature? What's a good way of taking temperature? So that's a really good question. There is uh, lots of different ways you can take temperature, and many of them are really inaccurate. So that skin temperature where you put it on your skin, right. they're incredibly inaccurate. Um, so they're useless pretty much, uh, but they're quick and they look cool. So they're good for marketing, they but they're really cool. actually useless. So you're right. So if you're re it's really hot out and uh, it's the equator and you put that thing on there, you're probably going to have a fever. And if it's minus 60 and the wind's blowing, it's going to be... So skin temperature is useless. Another one is people put uh, a thermometer like under the axilla because then you don't have to the put it in the... armpit. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, that's also really inaccurate. The accurate way to get temperature is orally. So you put it in your mouth, under your tongue and close your mouth. That's pretty accurate. Fairly reproducible. But you know the best way to take a temperature? Well, one of the best way to take a temperature is, Dave. You take a thermometer and you stick it where? In your butt. Not my butt. Your butt. <laughs> yes. Well, if we want your temperature, we can't stick <laughs> we, it in we, my butt. We're going to have to put it in your butt. <laughs> okay. So it's actually a very accurate way to do it um, is to put a thermometer in your butt. Why more, why more than the mouth? Why the butt more than the mouth? Well, because you're breathing through your mouth. Yeah. Oh, you're so you're opening cool. your mouth. Oh, right. You're taking right. an internal temperature. Okay. I guess if you've got an enormous amount of flatus, this could be a problem. But gas. Yeah, flatus is gas. In general, you know. Uh, in the buttocks. But if you really want a super duper accurate temperature, you actually put an esophageal probe down into your esophagus or you get a rectal probe that's really long and shove it way up there. So the idea is like if if you if we're trying to check internal temperature, we care about the body's temperature at the body's core. So we call this a core temperature. Like if I were to uh, cut your forearm off and stick a thermometer in the middle of your forearm, that body temperature is going to be different than if I stick a thermometer in your spleen. You know, like you're going to be warmer in your core, you should be, than in your extremities. And so what that's actually what we really care about is the core temperature. And the, the closest orifice that we can put a thermometer mm -hmm. in a person to give us a core temperature is usually the short rectum. Of, short of stabbing somebody yes. in the, yes, in the, in the liver. Yeah, in the liver, yeah. Yeah, here's yeah. a thermometer stabbed into your liver. That's a very accurate one. Mm -hmm. So does blood... Is, is, can you take the temperature of blood? Is blood a good like marker for temp core temperature? Oh, I'm sure it's great, but I don't know how to do that. Right. With a, uh, thermo yeah. a blood thermometer. <laughs> oh, not a blood thermometer. <laughs> you also, as soon as you would draw the blood, it would immediately cool. Oh, you yeah. Know, so, so anyway, we still, it, it seems archaic, but yes, we're still putting thermometers in people's butts. So in general, when you come to the ER, not everybody's going to get a thermometer shoved up their butt. Uh, they're going to take an oral temperature. That's good enough for most people. But if you've got a really sick person or if they've got some other issues, then we might put a thermometer in their butt. And we might even leave it in there with this probe that gives a continuous readout because we want to see that that temperature is coming down. But that's not really for somebody with a fever. We do yeah. that. We do that for somebody who's got 
an external temperature elevation. So you've been in a hot car and mm. you've got hypothermia. That's the type of fever we really worry about. It's not really a fever. That's hypothermia. And that's a big difference. What's a low-grade fever? I've heard low-grade before. A low-grade fever is a term made up by parents. Oh, very official then. <laughs> no, it actually, now, what's the definition? An urban dictionary, right? Yeah, low grade that's fever. the urban dictionary definition. No, I, I mean, that's not really, there's not really any, any such thing as a low-grade fever. I'd say a low-grade fever is one that it has not quite met the definition, the cutoff of 100.4 Fahrenheit, but it's still above normal. So if you had like 100.2 uh, yeah, I guess colloquially you could say that's a low-grade fever, but that's not really a thing. You know, it's a hard cutoff. I use that term all the time for myself. So you <laughs> got a little virus and you're feeling warm and you're sweating a little bit and you take your temperature and it's not above the magic threshold of a fever, 38. But you know that you're getting there, you're a 37.85. You're like, yeah, that's got a little low-grade fever. It's low-grade. Yeah. It's not an actual real medical term, but (laughs) it's a spectrum. We talked about the fact that fever is a spectrum (laughs) from, you know, 38 to, you know, 48. And what's that in Fahrenheit again? 100. 100.4. 100.4. Okay. That doesn't seem like much. 100.4 from like, what are we, 98 point something all the time? Isn't that amazing? The body's just so tightly regulated. Yeah. Like it's just so, it's so precise. better than a nest. (laughs) A nest thermostat. Yeah. (laughs) The hypothalamus (laughs) is the nest thermostat of your brain. But I don't have, like, a no, vacation mode. I need, no. like, an eco-vacation mode. Do you have mode. an away mode? No, I don't think so. So one thing some people pointed to when I asked this question was uh, hallucinations. If you're having a hallucination with a fever, it means brain damage is occurring. That explains a lot about me because I definitely <laughs> hallucinated with fevers as a kid. I hallucinate all the time. Yeah. So uh, I hope that's not the case. From fever? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, for fevers, I had really bad hallucinations. Really bad. Yeah. Um, so that's really common with fever. And um, my sister used to have it all the time. I remember as a kid being in, sharing a room with her and she would get a fever and she'd start seeing people coming out mm-hmm. of the walls and stuff. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? That's not brain damage. That's just, there is a little brain dysfunction. That does make you a little anxious as an ER doc's like, yeah. But it's really common. High fevers, particularly in kids, makes them sort of see things weird. Yeah. And, and get sort of hallucinations, bring the temperature down, and uh, they start to get better. So, But it's so common, those people don't go on and have brain damage because look at you two. Right. Well, You're here with us now. I don't, don't have that proof? much brain damage. I don't damage. know if that's a good example. <laughs> and, and on top of the people talking about concerns about um, hallucinations, another thing people pointed to was the fever might cause uh, seizures. Is that true? Can a fever, if it gets too high, cause, cause a seizure? Why, yes. There is an entity called febrile seizures, and that's something that happens in little kids. And in general, if it's just a seizure from the fever and it's just one and it's not otherwise like complex with other things going on, we don't worry too much about that. It's fairly common and it's pretty benign. But uh, again, that's why we're here in the ER. For you to make that yes, decision. Yes, for, for that us it's to benign. Help figure out that that one's benign and that's not like the dangerous kind. It's kind of scary for the parent though. You can imagine you've got oh. your, your wonderful little one-year-old and they get a fever and then they have a full-on tonic-clonic seizure. So their arms and their legs are jerking and they're having a seizure. They come to the ER and the ER doctor does a good history and exam and doesn't find anything wrong. And you say, well, uh, here's some Tylenol. You can go home now. And the parents are like, 
What are you talking Crappiest about? Crappiest ER this ever. It's <laughs> melting, but it's really common in kids. Does that predict them going on to having seizures later in life? Mostly no. You've got a little bit more risk of having seizures later on in life if you had a febrile seizure as a kid, but not much. Just a little tiny bit higher risk that you'll have epilepsy later on. There are a couple of special populations that we get more worried about when there's a fever. So first one is kids that are not vaccinated. Ooh, Ooh. please vaccinate That's another your show. kids. That's, another That's a show. whole show. But I'm going to say one thing about it. I'm going to say if you have a baby and you don't vaccinate your kid and they get a fever, that kid is getting a full workup. It's very invasive. There's blood cultures and urine and spinal taps and all these things that have to happen because they're at such a higher risk for a serious bacterial infection. And so we have to do a very invasive workup. So that's one special population. And the other special population is little babies, newborns. And I'm not going to get into the exact number of days old because that's controversial. But if they are a newborn with a fever, that's another very serious, potentially serious problem where you have a higher risk that something really bad's going on. And you can imagine why little babies, they're just starting to get out in the world and their immune system isn't quite ready yet. So that's why it's really still sort of the recommendation. When you've got a tiny little newborn... Not to be around uh, the rest of the kids coughing and sneezing and getting all these infections because even if it turns out that it's nothing, if you come to see Jess with your two-week-old who's got a fever, Jess has to do lots of blood cultures and spinal taps and give antibiotics and watch you in the hospital. So you don't want that. Mm -hmm. So don't hop on an airplane with screaming children with lots of infections when you've got a little tiny newborn. Give them a chance. Give them a month or two before they really get out into the world. So what does it mean to break a fever? Because everyone really seems to be concerned about getting on top of it and breaking it as if it's going to just skyrocket out of control if it's unchecked. And that's sort of uh, been sort of perpetuated by movies. So, you know, uh, the heroine or hero is lying in bed and they're dying and they're sweating and the doctor magically comes in and the fever breaks. Right, they've got to break the fever. And then they're fine and they go for a 12-mile jog five Mm. minutes later. (laughs) Or they go fight the bad guy for the rest of the movie. So breaking a fever is, it's a sort of a made-up term. We don't, we're not there to break the fever, we're there to treat the infection. And sometimes when you treat the infection, the fever goes away. But what can happen with high fevers is this thing called rigors and chills. So you've probably experienced it. When your fever's really high, it doesn't just stay high but it actually cycles up and down. So your temperature, your body says, I need to raise the temperature. Your body says, I need to go to 102. I want to fight this infection. But you're only at 98. So you get these chills and these chills start all the old muscles to contract. And that actually raises your temperature. Yeah. It's like a shake weight for the body. (laughs) And then... Uh, for reasons that I'm not really clear of, then it cycles down again. It's like, oh, well, I shouldn't be at 102. We better drop it down back to 98. So then you feel incredibly hot. And that's often where people think the fever's broken. So your temperature comes down, you put your thermometer in there and it's like 98, but you're sweating and you're just, you have to get rid of all this heat because your body says, I now need to be at 98. So that's when the fever is broken. So we've talked about ibuprofen. We've talked about Tylenol. But Dave, Mel, do you know what the real treatment for a fever is? Cowbell. Cowbell. Yes! <laughs> oh dear, she got it in there. <laughs> I think we're done. Is that it? Yeah. Fevers. They're actually okay. 
I mean, assuming it's not from some external Except force. Except when they're not okay. And, and not being caused by some <laughs> evil thing underlining the whole thing. But generally, it's like a good sterilization for the body. Fevers are fine, except when they're not fine. Right. right. We don't really care about the fever itself. We care about why the fever's there. And there is this thing called fever phobia. We've become so obsessed with fevers and all the medications to bring it down. But most of the time, fever is fine. Take Tylenol or ibuprofen. If you're not feeling good, but you don't really need to treat most fevers just because they're a fever. There's no such thing as low grade and there's no such thing as breaking. Yes. But if you're ever concerned, as always, if you're worried, go see your dog. Go see the ER uh, people. Because, you know, if you're worried, that's what they're there for, to help. Yeah, you guys are there anyways. I know. Go say hi. You gotta do something. That's right. We just stand around. (laughs) Thanks to Jess Mason, Dave Mason, and I'm... Mel Herbert. This Won't Hurt a Bit is a production of Fooly Boo Incorporated, produced by CeCe Herbert and Bill Connor. The information you hear on This Won't Hurt a Bit should not be taken as actual medical advice. If you have actual medical questions about actual medical things, you should see an actual medical practitioner. Even though we are actually doctors, we're not your actual doctor, so be sensible and keep it real. And this... Oh, this. 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 Okay, so my gut feeling is that your your body wouldn't let you get so hot that you cook yourself, or that would be like a big problem. So I would like to think at some point during evolution, we sort of worked that out, and now we can sort of regulate our temperature to a point. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's true. Maybe it used to be uh, back in the day mm-hmm. that you got a virus, a cold virus, and you're body went crazy and took you to 800 degrees and you exploded and died. Right. You couldn't reproduce. No. And so that gene wasn't passed on. And the people who got fevers who didn't spontaneously combust are the <laughs> humans you see today. That's a definite possibility. Mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, that's, evolution. that's probably real. That's how evolution that's works. That's how it works. We've, we've weeded out spontaneous human combustion, right. mostly. Well, mostly. Right. mostly. It still happens occasionally. occasionally. I've right. seen photos. Yeah. <laughs>